Since Roe v. Wade, 60 million babies have been aborted. There's an impending global hunger crisis. There's a trans agenda impacting children and teens. And we have, of course, crushing inflation, especially on marginalized communities, and overall media corruption that makes us wonder if we can even trust the media anymore. Amidst all of that, we ask ourselves the question, what should we do about it? Well, then along comes a book by one of America's biggest and most well-known megachurch pastors, Andy Stanley, that says we should not be in it to win it. And so today we'll ask the question, with all of that going on, is he right? We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Hey guys, don't forget that our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. If you're looking for small business solutions, you need to check these guys out. I personally use Anchor for Indie Thinker because I decided a long time ago that I, as a small business, I wasn't going to hire somebody for payroll and accounting, but that I needed some expert help to do that. So I went to Anchor to get them to help me with that. And they can also help you with a multitude of other things. They can help you with business administration. They can help you with HR solutions, payroll solutions, like I said, and accounting and bookkeeping and so much more. But to figure out everything that Anchor can do to help you, you need to go to their website. So once again, go to ancur.biz. And if you connect with them, let them know that Indie Thinker sent you. Hey guys, thanks for watching the show today. If you're ready to crush some echo chambers, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. The way we do that here on the show is by combining faith and reason. And I believe that's important, especially as our culture shifts further and further left. And now we also crush echo chambers here at Indie Thinker by having great guest shows. And when I say I have one of the best guests that we've ever had on the show coming this Sunday, um, it is no exaggeration. So, our guest will be Carl Truman, and Carl Truman is the author of what I think is perhaps, at least in our age, one of the most important books of our time. And he is the author of The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Now, you may have heard about this book if you have uh, watched The Daily Wire before, or if you have seen The Daily Wire documentary, What is a Woman? Because Carl Truman was featured in that documentary because he is a scholar in the feminist movement, in the sexual revolution, in the modern identity movement, and so much more. If you want to get to the root of what's really going on in our world and where so many of the ideas that we're seeing are coming from, you need to listen to the show. So if you haven't subscribed already, you need to do that so that you'll be notified when the show goes live at 8 o'clock this Sunday. But you don't want to miss that one because it's going to be really, really good. Now today we're going to be talking about Andy Stanley. He's one of the most famous pastors in the world. He pastors one of the largest largest churches in the world and certainly one of the largest churches in the metro Atlanta area. So North Point, where he pastors, he reaches an estimated 40,000 people in eight campuses every single Sunday. His recent book, Not In It to Win It, was just released and tells the story of how Christian evangelicals supposedly lost credibility in the eyes of I guess, who knows, uh, but for the sake of obscurity, we'll just say the world, due to their giving into fear-based arguments and, uh, and fear-based arguments specifically rooted in political ideology. Now, oddly enough, in a book about not winning, Stanley is obviously very concerned with the fact that Christians have lost. Now, as ironic as that sounds, it gets even a little bit more ironic. Stanley in the book claims that Christian evangelicals are so 
concerned about winning at all costs that uh, lurking beneath their Bible-based rhetoric and their faith claims and the books that they write and the sermons that they preach is just this relentless desire to win rather than a desire to create a better world and fulfill Jesus's ultimate plan on the earth. Ultimately, the book will go into great detail about how Jesus was a loser by every you know human metric and that we must be like him if we are to truly be Christians. Now, it's here where I have to just stop and add a little bit of clarification that Jesus didn't go to the cross to lose. Yes, he lost his life, but it wasn't to lose. He, he went to the cross to win a much greater victory than we can ever possibly imagine here on this earth. And we also see throughout Jesus' earthly ministry that he had no trouble fighting and winning. He fought Satan and his time in the wilderness and one would also ask if we shouldn't also have a response for evil in our age, if we're going to truly be Christians. But what a waste of time and energy uh, of Jesus to do such a thing, because winning is pointless after all. But please also don't make the mistake. Jesus' dedication to spiritual battles um, as an inability to also fight other people, right? He was fighting the devil, but, but trust me, Jesus also had no problem resisting uh, Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees in his day to the point where some might have considered him a little disagreeable. In all, we see that Jesus had no tolerance for the kind of people described in Jeremiah 8, 11, calling for peace, peace, when there is no peace. But we see this more and more in our age. We see peacetime prophets who place a greater value upon supposed unanimity and unity rather than the truth. Peacetime prophets are the kind of people who put band-aids on gaping wounds and they assure us all is well. And they disregard church history too. These peacetime prophets don't like to acknowledge people like Bonhoeffer, Tyndale, and Luther, Christians who risked their life to stir up trouble when it needed to go down. These men knew better than most of us that righteousness demands a verdict and sometimes demands that we get our hands dirty. Now, Stanley's book was about winning the battles that matter to God rather than the ones that matter to you or to me, or making sure that we don't let our personal preferences outweigh scripture. That would be great. And indeed, he does go into his book a little bit about this. But as you may guess, Stanley also pulls out one of the greatest leftist tactics of our age to push back against pesky Christians who, who want to win culture wars. And he says this. Jesus knew, Jesus knew what we can't seem to get our heads around, that when the church chooses a side, as defined by any political party, when the church chooses a side, we've sided against people on the other side. And in that moment, we elevate our potentially flawed political views over yous, the you beside you, the you that lives across the street from you, and the you that's nothing like you. What you just saw there is something I call weaponized empathy. So it's this idea, you're not loving unless you do what I say. If you disagree, you're being divisive. And what did Jesus say about being divisive? Shame, shame, shame on you. And Stanley uses that tactic well here. You see, if you're concerned with winning arguments or if you're concerned with winning anything, it's because you don't love the person on the other side of the argument. You're just some Christian nationalist who has perverted Christianity for the sake of your own selfish and immoral gain. Shame on you for caring so much. But a little trepidation is warranted if you may find pause at the idea that Stanley's message is exactly the kind of thing that the spider says to the fly caught in the web. Don't resist. Stay right there. I'm really not a threat. It's all going to be fine. 
This kind of spiritual pacifism that says and tolerates everything except anything deemed as intolerant and values all views except, of course, the ones that that they disagree with is exactly the recipe for the kind of mess that got Israel captivated by Babylon. Stop fighting. Be nice. Let's get along and we'll all be fine if we just quit fighting. Unfortunately, the pacifism of the modern church has overseen that we have descended culturally so deeply into madness that we're now fighting over whether a 14-year-old can have, quote, his breasts removed. And if a child in the womb deserves to have its spinal cord snapped in half or not, one would think that those may be things worth fighting and winning for. Thousands of children on puberty blockers every year and rising and at least 60 million infants dead since Roe v. Wade was implemented. And we're still not ready to fight, Andy. We're still not ready to win. But because I care about being charitable, I really think at least and pray that Andy would agree that winning actually does matter. You know, at least in some cases. After all, he wasn't too worried about being div divisive when he replied to this comment here on social media. And a person responded to his, uh, his posting of the book, and the person said this, Woke preacher still pushing his goods. Andy responded back saying, perhaps you should head on back over to Twitter. And then the person responded back to him, maybe you should head back to the Bible. Oh, now, careful, Andy, you might be perceived as being divisive if you're not careful. According to your book, I know we should be concerned with fairy farts, Eskimo kisses, and goosebumps, and losing at all costs. Apparently, deep down, even Andy can't deny that we need to win and to fight some battles. If he doesn't believe in winning some battles, then there's only a couple of conclusions that we can draw. One, he doesn't believe in the existence of sin not only internally, but also grave sins externally. And therefore, no reason to fight and no reason to win. It's one of the conclusions that we can draw from this if you don't think we should actively be fighting injustice and evil. All people really needed then in this idea is a therapist to feel better about themselves. And ultimately, that's what the cross and the Holy Spirit are all about. Christianity is a religion of moral therapeutic deism that improves one's positive mental attitude. And the easiest route to that is a spiritual pacifism that says, relax, tune into your true self, find that, and then you'll find inner peace. Thus, losing and winning, who cares? You know, no need for spiritual battles, only your willingness to accept how awesome you are. And if this is what Andy Stanley believes, he deserves every accusation of woke preaching. But somehow I don't believe that's what he thinks. It could be this. Andy believes there's no reason to fight because he suffers from one of the most common problems in the modern megachurch. And many of its leaders do suffer from this. He has the ability to gather crowds, but does not have the ability to carefully parse ideas. Specifically, Stanley does not seem to be able to distinguish between objective truth and subjective truth. So, for instance, an objective truth sounds like this. 2 plus 2 equals 4. Doesn't matter how you feel or if you like it. It's true. Subjective truth sounds like this. You look good in red. There's certainly a way in which that may be true, but the truth is based upon a feeling or an emotion or a personal perception based upon personal preference. Um, so one is subject to the observer, in other words, and the other is not. So when you think about subjective truths, sure, we can stand to lose on some of those ideas. But when you think about objective truths, 
God forbid we ever let that go into that still night without a fight from Christians, even if it means breaking fellowship, because these are some of the most important truths that we can stand for. Objective truths like a man is a man and no, an infant cannot determine its own gender are truths that demand a group of people who are willing to stand, fight, win, and even divide over if that's what it takes. By the way, you might ask yourself, can the body of Christ really be divided? Just because of disagreement? Certainly not. But can it be divided anyway? And we're seeing this more and more, that the most successful leaders in the modern church growth movement have the least ability to represent the beauty and the complexity of the Christian faith. And there may be a third option. Andy may be so interested in losing because losing is way easier than winning. To lose, you don't have to study deeply any classic literature or theology. To lose, you don't have to really have the burden of, of leading. And when you lose, you never have to be worried about being misunderstood or being called names like judgmental or the dreaded, the F word, fundamentalist, Christian nationalist, bigot, transphobic, racist, or any of these other slurs that we hear so often to distance people from intellectual debate. No, people do not worry about misrepresenting those they pity. People leave you alone when you're not a real threat. And George Orwell said this, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. Thus, we have to know that there is a sense in which division is going to come between light and dark and good and evil. It's inevitable. So while we aren't interested in just agitating everybody that we come across, we are equally and evenly and even less interested in winning popularity contests in a post-Christian culture. Now, please, don't make the mistake of thinking that when you get a hater on social media because you espouse a dumb idea, that's not hating because you're over the target or haters just hating. Um, it could be that you're just totally wrong, and obviously so. But also don't make the mistake of thinking anything other that winning puts a target on your back. As long as you're a loser, you never have to worry about the crowd spitting on you, cursing at you, and shouting crucify. That alone is reserved for winners. So those are some potential reasons for losing. But here's why we should win and why winning matters so much. Contrary to what Stanley thinks, we must care about winning because we love the people. The people on the other side of the argument are the ones we are fighting for, even if they don't realize it and don't appreciate it. We care about people so much that we refuse to let them fall for wicked and suicidal lies. It is love that compels us to cry for repentance and to demand a better way, even if the people on the other side of the argument shout crucify. So we must and should win, even in political battles, because there are personal and collateral damages to a world that descends deeper and deeper away from the truth. For instance, what are the cultural implications? And I spend a lot of time thinking about this. What are the cultural implications and the personal impacts of a political class working in cahoots with our media class to create echo chambers and lie for one another? Here's a great example of how deep that echo chamber goes. Research by Gallup says American trust in the mass media is at its lowest point since 2016 and near a record low overall. What happened 
and where CNN goes from here. You were caught masturbating on camera. You since then have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, you got it all right, sad to say. Joining me now, the man who accused Don Lemon of sexual assault. His accuser claims Lemon started rubbing himself. But the even bigger point, I think, is about what the press is. Is it produced by reporters or by repeaters? Repeaters are the talk radio shouters. They're on TV and radio telling the same story every day. President Trump. President Trump. President Trump. 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 Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Telling the same story every day. Repeaters are Twitter trolls who anonymously amplify propaganda and try to wear the rest of us down with their repetition. January 6th. 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 Repetition. January 6th insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. The insurrection. 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 Repetition. 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 So much of what they are repeating is from reporters, from the people paid to figure out what is true. Widely held conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was created in a Chinese laboratory. Dr. Fauci, thank you uh, for keeping it straight. Thank you for fighting the good fight. We know the science. We know that masks work. What we have now is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is really now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. There is no evidence of any wrongdoing by either Hunter or Joe Biden. There's no evidence of wrongdoing by either Joe or Hunter Biden. What you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha. But this isn't about ideology. The biggest terror threat in this country comes from radicals on the far right, primarily white As a white woman, aware of my own privilege in this country, I am so angry, and I can't even begin. We are not fake news, we are real news. And now the two faces of Hillary Clinton are coming out. The fact, through WikiLeaks, that she says one thing, uh, and... Oh, no. All right, let's see if we can get Congressman Collins back. Obviously, we just lost the satellite feed. That sucks. Routinely at these rallies, we are hearing a chance of uh, CNN sucks. This is CNN, the most trusted name in news. Now, CNN is the most trusted name in news. Uh, but it's become a laughing stock because of people like Brian Stelter, who just recently signed off for his very last show on CNN, because we're supposed to believe that the show uh, was just canceled rather than Brian Stelter was fired. And his words to us in parting were this, CNN needs to be strong for America. But while we're laughing at this because it's so ridiculous that he suggests such a thing, the corruption of lies is having, it's taking its toll. For instance, Joe Biden just signed into law the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. That's what they're calling it, right? There's only one problem. The bill does not reduce inflation, like at all. According to a Wharton study, the PWBM estimates that the Inflation Reduction Act would reduce non-interest cumulative deficits by $248 billion over the budget window with no impact on GDP in 2031. Thus, the impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero. So Barry Weiss just recently spoke with Larry Summers, who is a renowned economist and a former president of Harvard. And uh, Barry Weiss's common stack, Substack, is great, by the way. But the, the conversation that he, she had with him sounded like this. So are you happy with the Inflation Reduction Act and will it reduce inflation? 
Larry Summers responded, I'm happy with it, but its principal effect is not going to be the reduction of inflation. So let's get this right. The bill called the Inflation Reduction Act is not principally, or if you believe the Wharton study that I just quoted, at all about reducing inflation. Now, some will easily dismiss this and say, well, that's politicians for you. They're just dishonest. And Donald Trump was a liar, too. But isn't that part of the problem? The real damage of lies is that when we become accustomed to them and quit expecting the truth, we no longer trust our institutions. All the while, our sense of truth is being eroded until we can't tell up from down or left from right. I'm chiefly concerned about the cultural and personal impact of our nation's leaders and the media alongside them, aiding and abetting them in their lies. And by the way, this is where there isn't an equivalence because Donald Trump didn't have CNN, MSNBC, and the multitude, 90% of other news networks on his side. So there's clearly an imbalance here that should cause us pause. So not only am I personally interested in my own ability to be able to tell the truth and others, but I think there's also a more important aspect to why we must win. Because there is collateral damage to bad politics. Now, I've said before, to some confusion, that politics at its most fundamental, uh, at its most fundamental bedrock uh, place is simply love of others. Because politics deals with a social contract of sorts of how we will agree to interact with one another. And here's what I mean by that. So because of COVID policy, mental health visits vastly declined during lockdowns. According to the NIH, the first months after lockdowns from February to March, follow-up visits for mental health declined 30% from the previous year, and those numbers continued to increase into the pandemic. Now you think about vets with PTSD and all sorts of other things. What are the residual effects of, of that kind of policy? How about this? Suicide increased during COVID lockdowns too. According to CNBC, suicide attempts among adolescent girls surged more than 50%. And how about this? And COVID lockdowns impacted supply chains exacerbated by the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, leading to what is becoming a real global hunger crisis in the present. Just recently in The Economist, Antonio Gutierrez, the UN Secretary General, warned on May 18th that the coming months threaten, quote, the specter of a global food shortage, end quote, that could last for years. The high cost of staple foods has already raised the number of people who cannot be sure of getting enough to eat by 440 million to 1.6 billion. Nearly 250 million are on the brink of famine right now. If, as is likely, the war drags on and supplies from Russia and Ukraine are limited, hundreds of millions more people could fall into poverty. Political unrest will spread, children will be stunted, and people will starve. Well, I don't mean to seem partisan here. Um, if you put Trump and Biden together and you ask them to answer about their their beliefs on COVID lockdowns, one would say we need more masking, more lockdowns and more strictures, while the other would say if I had it to do it all over again, I would not have shut down the world's largest economy. Now, I'll let you decide which is which, but I hope we can step away from platitudinal thinking long enough to realize a very important point. The political is the personal when lives are at stake. That politics really at its finest 
It's not about mudslinging, and it's not about red versus blue, and it's not about Pelosi versus McConnell or anything like that. It's rather this, philosophy in the form of policy. It's what we believe working through our institutions. And if we're going to be honest, one party mirrors the moral demands of Christianity, Christianity way more than the other. In sum, love is worth fighting for, and it's worth winning for because there's collateral damage. And by the way, just so you know, the first thing you'll want to do on the other side of losing is get on your knees and beg God for forgiveness for allowing the government that we presently have turn into totalitarianism and tyranny. And I'm not trying to exaggerate here. This is the story of the 20th century, that if we don't value democracy, we don't value justice, we don't value righteousness, and we're not willing to stand up for what is right, ultimately what will be followed by the corruption of government is the shedding of blood. And in that moment, for the sake of our kids, for the sake of our nation, and for the sake of ourselves, we'll cry out to God for forgiveness for neglecting the great gift and the opportunity to stand for that gift that we had in a democracy. But we don't have to go that route. We could fight and we could win on the issues that matter most. And yes, that means you're going to have to think for yourself about what those issues may be and how to parse those things. You're probably not going to get that from Stanley's book, but you can do it for yourself. And then once you do it, get off the sidelines and change the world for the better. Stanley's a good guy, I'm sure, but a more reliable source, Brian Stelter, would be the Apostle Paul who said this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may win it. So in a world of prolific lies, it's important to have a people willing to push back, willing to pay the social cost of doing what is right. So should you be in it to win it? I think you should. I think it matters. I think it probably matters more now than perhaps it ever has in at least my lifetime that there is a group of people who are willing to stand against some of the cultural trends that are happening right now in our world. And I would also suggest this, that perhaps if you're going to do that, shelve not in it to win it and grab a book like Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham. I'll put a link down in the description so that you can access it. Much better book, in my opinion, and one that needs to be read right now in the present, especially. Guys, I hope that was helpful to you. If it was, please make sure to comment below, and then you can like, share, and subscribe so that you can spread the good word. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.